Thank you, sis. Okay, guys, so let's uh, pray together. We're gonna, we, don't, we don't take God's word lightly. We understand that this is a, a holy deal. So let's pray and ask God's hand in this. Lord Jesus, we pray for your Holy Spirit to, to guide our time, that you would speak to us and through us, Lord, and uh, that, that indeed uh, you would use me by your grace. Lord, I pray for that. We, we all acknowledge right now that we're all men and women, and apart from you to guide us, uh, we would just uh, be uh, loud symbols, Lord, and that's not our heart. Uh, we know you want to be um, working in lives. You want to be exalted. So we pray we would get out the way so you can do that, Jesus. Would you, would you allow that to happen? Would you um, allow your word to go forth in power, allow us to see you more clearly? Um, and we just ask that you would have your way, uh, that we would enjoy the beauty of what you've done in history and what you're doing now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, family. Please be seated. Uh, big chunk of text there. We, we as a community of faith, um, our heart behind doing that, reading the text before is, uh, and as you see, Pastor Leon's passing out Bibles. Uh, you can raise your hand if you need some, as well as, as pens and note uh, pads. And if, you, if you're at the house and you're like, man, I don't have a Bible, let us know. We want to give you a Bible. We want you to continue to learn how to navigate through the scriptures. And uh, as you know, we are a community where we go through books of the Bible. We take short breaks, and then we get back into books of the Bible. Uh, if you are visiting right now, we are in Acts. We're in Acts chapter 23. We've been in Acts for over a year now. Uh, we will be completing Acts. Um, we'll be completing Acts. Uh, towards the end of July, which would be cool, and then we'll hit uh, another brief series, and then we will start the book of Exodus in September. So that's kind of your, your framework of what we'll be doing. So make sure you're reading ahead in Acts, and also make sure you're preparing uh, for uh, September as well. Uh, what, we read those texts in general. There's a lot there for you guys, but we're trying to also kind of train us, uh, train our culture into, into, into as we're doing exegesis, you're getting the whole narrative too, right? So you want to read the whole narrative. We read the narrative, and then we go back and we go through it. Uh, so that's our, our attempt there is to continue to train our minds um, to be understanding the Bible, not in just proof text, but understanding it as we, as we take apart and look at the scriptures, we're doing that in light of the whole, okay? Okay. Um, a lot of good stuff going on here. You obviously are on a moving train if you just came up in here. But at the same time, we, uh, God's word is sufficient whenever we preach it. So we know that God will minister to you whether you've heard any sermon from the past. But we would encourage you to go to uh, our website and check out and, and catch up and learn and hopefully grow um, in your understanding of what's going on in the book of Acts. Uh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful book about what God is doing in history um, as God has made himself known in the greatest way that he saw it possible. And that was by, by revealing himself in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, uh, God himself. Uh, what he does uh, in this book, Luke, uh, is a writer, he's writing to uh, some Greeks and powerful individuals, and he's trying to convince them that it makes no sense for them not to be Christians because Jesus is real. All right. And so then you had one canon, which was actually Luke and Acts was one book. And then it became two books, uh, Luke and Acts. And so what you had was you had Jesus's life and understanding what was going on in his works and his deeds uh, and his proclamations. And then he dies on the cross. And then you have kind of the interwoven component of his death and resurrection between the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Jesus rises from the dead. The guys are in shambles. They realize actually Jesus rises from the dead. He is the king. They like, it's, it's 
on now. Jesus says, yep, it's on. I'm sending you out. I'm going to give you um, marching orders. We're going to give you missionary marching orders. The reason why I'm here is to make worshipers. What I want you to do is what you're doing to me right now, worshiping me. I want you to train other people all around the world to be worshipers of Christ. But I'm not going to ask you to do that on your own strength. I'm going to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to go and be my witnesses First, where you are, and we're going to spread that thing out and all the way to the ends of the earth, okay? So they begin to do this. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, fills them. They get power. They get excited. They start preaching the gospel. People look in. All of a sudden, the ministry starts to grow in power and status of Christ. People started coming to Jesus. At the same time, you start getting some, um, some haters. Persecution happens. Uh, these guys are seeing the church grow. They're seeing God purify the church. They're sin. I mean, all these things are happening like crazy as God basically is showing us in history how he's growing the New Testament church. Right? So we see the church growing in wisdom and stature. We see God purifying the church, showing him he's serious about holiness. At the very same time, we see the church becoming persecuted. In fact, we get this one dude uh, named Saul who is going around and trying to kill Christians and put Christians in jail. And he's probably one of the, the greatest persecutors or individuals who's going after Christianity. God just wants to show us that he can do whatever he wants, when he wants. And he says, you know what? I think I'll save you. He saves Paul. Paul becomes the greatest New Testament theologian in history, writes about 13 books of the Bible that you and I read, and is a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. Right, so the Gentiles were another whole, another was a group of people who were not the Jews, who the Jews saw themselves as God's people. God comes and says, "No, I want you to understand something. I am the Jewish people's God, but I'm actually the creator of all the world and everything. And if that's the case, then I can't just be the God of one people group. I'm the God of all creation because I created everything. So I want you to change your framework and change your ministry plan and understand that your ministry plan has to include everybody because I'm the God of everybody." Right? So this is what God is doing. So then Paul is like, cool. Paul goes around and does what you call the missionary journeys. So we, this, is, this is us giving a snapshot of basically what our body's been going through and what you guys have been going through for the last year or so in about five, ten minutes. So Paul goes and does what we call the three missionary journeys. Okay, we talked about this over and over again. We're blown away at the fact that this guy is traveling around thousands upon thousands of miles. We're talking 14, I think the, the, the stats we had was 1,400 miles. Then, then the, second, the other missionary journey was 2,400 miles. Another missionary journey was 2,800 miles. All right, this is a guy in the first century traveling all around uh, to preach the gospel. Gospel gets preached, people are coming to Christ, but at the same time, we see three different scenarios where riots break out and Paul gets kind of either beat down, which is where we're just coming from in our last text the last couple of weeks, or he's in danger greatly, okay? So this is his life. Here's a guy who's a Pharisee among Pharisees, one of the most learned individuals, studied of the, of Gamaliel. Um, he's like posh, a socialite. You know, I mean, he had it all. He gives it all up to join this group called The Way because he saw Jesus. Jesus is king. So his whole life has changed. His whole life is now not dedicated to his pedigree, not dedicated to how much he knows, not dedicated to how popular he is in in Judaism, but now it's dedicated to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He almost gets killed, we just saw in the last couple chapters, where he gets beat down to the point. The Roman guards have to put him on their back and drag him into the barracks, right, to say, we got to save this guy. They're about to strip him. They're, they're about to beat him. They realize that actually he speaks Greek, and they realize he's a Roman citizen. Everybody gets scared. They don't know what to do. We can't kill him yet because he's a Roman citizen. We would die if we kill him. So we got to figure out why all these Jews are so upset with this guy. So then they give Paul back to the Jewish leaders and say, hey, hey why don't you take him? Let's see what, they say, what he says to you. 
they take them and they have a discussion, right? We talked about that last week and realize that they hit him in the mouth. One of the high priests, <laughs> they have a discussion. They can't get much out of them. They're so frustrated. The guys begin to argue because of pride. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, basically the religious leaders. Paul used to be a Pharisee. The Sadducees hate the Pharisees. So when Paul saw that, he saw how to be wise and get himself out of this because of God's gracious hand. And ne- next thing you know, at the end of the sermon, he's okay, right? So now he's sitting uh, in the barracks, and now we enter into where we are this week. Man, Paul's had a pretty interesting life, huh? Right? But isn't it cool? Can you imagine being a first century Jew and you're getting this letter and you're real and this guy's doing this and he's alive. You're seeing him do this right now. Doesn't that give you perspective? Doesn't it help you go? Doesn't it help you say, well, what am I doing in my life? Right? How do you, how can you go this guy? You know, especially if you're a Christian, right? You're, you're, you're Christian, you're hiding, you're struggling, you know there's persecution. Sometimes you struggle with saying you're Christian because you know you might get killed or you might get beat down or you might get ostracized. And so, you know, we've had all those scenarios sometimes. You probably won't get beat down or, or put in jail, but you've had times where you're like, do I go fully out or do I just be a nice person, right? We've had those times. Imagine being in that time. And then this guy's writing a letter. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Be encouraged. Proclaim Christ. Tell the gospel, right? Be willing to die because, it, because he's real, right? This is the posture. You're getting this letter. You're seeing this guy go through this. Remember, remember, this isn't like the soul. You know, this isn't a week later, two weeks later. This is day after day. He's still beat up, y'all. We talked about him. I mean, who knows what's broke on his body, the bruises. Can't he see out of one of his eyes? We don't know the mutilation. What we do know, the scriptures talk about him looking kind of beat up and messed up when you read the New Testament epistles, right? I wonder if he just wasn't always ugly. I wonder if when you get beat down enough, you start to look kind of ugly, right? The prize fighter at 21 looks different when he's 38. You know why? Because <laughs> he's gotten punched like 3,000 times, Right? So here we are in this text here. And what do we always say as we're reading the Bible? Ask yourself, so what, if I'm reading this as a first century Jew, how, how would I end? What would I think about this passage here? Now, as you read that, did you notice something that's really interesting about that passage? Is there anything that just stuck out to you? Anything that just meant, huh, well, that's so weird. It took me a little bit. Um, so it took me a few times reading the passage and something stuck out to me. Do you know that God in this whole pericope isn't mentioned at all, right? Just that the workings of God isn't kind of, I wonder why. What's going on here? Well, let's open up the Bible. Y'all ready to rock? Okay, so we have, Paul's been in a bunch of riots. So imagine yourself. Remember, this has happened in history. You've been in a bunch of riots, right? You've, you've been beat down. You're still dirty. Um, you, you just got yourself out of another mess. And, and, and remember at the end of the passage, what happens? God says to him, hey, I got you. Remember, you're going to steal. Hey, you're going to get out of this and you're going to testify, uh, you know, in Rome. So what you've done, you, you're doing good. I, I'm convinced, y'all. I don't know for sure. This is my commentary here. So I'd like to separate when I'm just sharing what I'm thinking as I'm reading the text. I just think God supernaturally, you know, every once in a while, God does these supernatural things. And he says, you know what, let me kind of help this brother. Let me, let me, it reminds me in first Samuel where, you know, David is struggling. And in the scripture says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. Every once in a while, like God just got to be like, you know what, 
I, I, I did say in the Bible, I'm not going to give you something more than you can handle. And right now, I think you're at the brink. Hey, I'm here. Just want to remind you I'm here. Now, guess what? That's supernatural. We see that, right? I want to propose that's what God does with his Bible for you and me. I want to propose, and you're having those hard times, and it's crazy. The reason why we do quiet times is just a, okay, God's here. Yeah. I'm not just in this by myself, pulling myself up with my bootstraps, right? But I'm convinced. I wonder if he was kind of discouraged is my point. Do you think, <laughs> Emily, you think he was kind of discouraged? At some point, have you ever just like, you, have, you, have you ever had a situation where you started crying for something that happened to you, but it was very minute, and that really wasn't the real reason why you was crying? And, and then the people looking around you like, why are you crying over that? Because it was something deeper. Because a lot of stuff's happened to you. You ever had that happen to you, right? You, you know, your kid's going crazy all day. You've had a rough day. You got an argument with your, with your wife, and then, you know, they break a glass. <laughs> you broke the glass. You know, it's a glass. You know, and it's really not the glass. <laughs> Right? There's a lot of other stuff in there. Right? Now, men, you, when you get married, you'll see, you'll be understanding that example. Every once in a while. I ain't, I'm just keeping it real. I ain't try, but every once in a while, you're just like, why, why, what's going on here? That happened to me. Y'all, this is real. I mean, y'all happened to me when we first moved here. Um, it was just a rough time. Sarah was living in Gross Point. We, had, we were trying to fix up our house, our first house. And man, I mean, just a lot of stuff was going on. We're trying to start the ministry. It was really stressful. And then these, um, then our house got broken into. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh man. And then um, uh, there was a hole. There was a hole in our ceiling, and and we fixed the hole. We thought we fixed the hole, and we put new drywall up in the ceiling. And now we're moving. And the, and the kitchen's getting done, and the drywall looks beautiful. And all of a sudden, I come in one night. You know, it's been raining. Now, come in to check on the house, and you guessed it, right? This water is pouring down through the, through the roof to the second floor, through the new drywall, the new drywall that we just hung, and it's just pouring down on the floor. And I remember just being like, it was like the straw. You, I remember, literally, I remember I sat down in the kitchen by myself, and I just wept. I just was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I remember just cry like a baby. Nobody around, I cried like a baby for like 10 minutes. I was like... Lord, what else is going to happen? You know, have one of those moments. I wonder, man, when you take all of this, I just wonder at some point, I mean, we, we see Paul's this juggernaut. You know, he's awesome. He's also a dude. He's a human. I wonder at some point, was he just like, really? Man, really? again? I'm in jail now. I'm hurt. You know, what is, what's going on here? I wonder. But here's what happens. Verse 12 says, he gets the promise in verse 11. It's about two years before the promise is realized, by the way. Going to Rome, which says something about God's promises. You don't know when God is going to do his thing. In verse 12, it says, when it was day, so he's still probably bruised up, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Really? So, 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 so. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You don't have brothers beat you down. People don't knock you out. Then the guys take you, your broken, mutilated body, and they stretch you out to torture you. The only reason you don't get tortured is because they hear you speak Greek words. You finally get down from there. They probably did some more damage to you because they stretch you out when you're already sore and messed up. You get up, 
all right? And you're talking to the Jews, they bring you down to the Jewish people, and I'm sure they're not handling you delicately. So they throw you in there, you get into the group, and the, the, all the leaders are around you, and they're saying, tell me, why do you say these things? And then the, the, the high priest punches you in the mouth. This is what happens, right? <laughs> this is the timeline. This is Paul's great timeline. And now, I'm trying to get a little more rest, and these guys are going, man, we got to kill him. Okay? Check this out, verse 13. It says, there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. So 40 people are saying, we, now you know somebody mad at you, and they say, I ain't going to eat until we kill you. How many of y'all like food? Right? I, I mean, it's hard to get body people to fast for way minimal things. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I mean, y'all know how I be trying to get y'all to fast. So, this is crazy. And look at this. It says, so and these guys are probably the zealots. Okay, you had these different groups we talked about. You talked about Sadducees. You had these zealots, people who were very staunch, serious about Yahweh. So, they thought, we got to do something. We got to protect Yahweh's name. So, we're going we're gonna to give this, 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 basically, this curse upon ourselves, which is hilarious. Which, by the way, a theological commercial so notice they make, you know, this is why God tells you and me that it speaks against the sovereignty of God. When you make promises like this, right, you're presuming upon God. And that's why God, cause, cause, because like, God might not bless you, right? And that's why the scriptures say, let your yes be yes, lest you be condemned. Because Christians, we don't, we don't have to make the crush your heart, hope to die. This is more theological commercial. We don't do, hey, I, pr- I swear and all this stuff. The reason why we don't swear is because we have integrity. You follow me? See, Christians, we don't have to say, I bet you this and I'll do that. Because what a Christian says happens. Right? So Christians are wise about what they project out as what's going to happen because Christians have integrity. So by the way, don't do that. Don't be promising stuff and, and cross your heart and I swear on my mama and all this stuff. That's not Christian. Christians, we don't, that's why God says, let your yes be yes, your no be yo. You just do what you're going to do and show integrity. Okay, guys? Um, so here it says, these guys give a, 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 an oath and say, we're going to, we won't eat until we kill Paul. Okay. It says, they went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Okay. Now, how, doesn't this speak to the integrity of the people they're talking to? Look at what it says in verse 15. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you. Remember who the tribune is? That's the person who's in control of who? All the centurions, right? Who's in control of who? The hundreds of Roman soldiers, Okay. And he says, talk to them, have them bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, so they go to, they go to the religious leaders. These are the people who are supposed to have the moral compass. These are the pastors, right? And they say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of trick Paul, okay? I, I want you to act like you, you want to think more about, the, about what's going on. Bring him, act like you're going to bring him down. And then we're going to ambush him. What does that speak to the character of the religious leaders when you can offer that example to them? That makes sense? What does that speak to the character of the leader? If you can come here right now and go, Eric, look, we really mad at Tammy. So what I want you to do is act like you're leaving the Waldorf. And when you leave the Waldorf, we're going to be in the bushes and we're going to all jump on it. <laughs> what does that say about me? 
If you feel like comfortable t- telling me that as your pastor, right? That speaks to the character of these guys that these men felt comfortable to go, hey, Mr. Pastor, can you help me kill somebody? Right? Right? So, so now you know the kind of people you're dealing with, okay, guys? These are the kind of people you're dealing with. Now, check this out. It says, now this is, what's going on here? Remember, we're asking ourselves, what is God trying to do here? The scriptures say in verse 16, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. All right? Now, think about that. How, how in this, how is this happening? How did Paul's nephew get in the midst of this kind of discussion? Was he powerful? How, how did this happen? What would have happened if Paul's nephew had never heard this? Have you thought about that? Verse 17 says, Paul called one of the centurions and says, so he goes, he says, hey, can I, hey, Uncle Paul, let me tell you what these brothers are trying to do to you. Paul's like, oh, hey, man, go, let's go tell somebody, right? Paul called one of the centurions and said, this is a guy who's, who's, who's over the hundred, right? Take this young man to the tribune for he has something to tell him. So be thinking about that. Man, does that remind you of something? Does that remind you when you see in the Bible, man, if that one thing hadn't happened, a lot of other things would have happened. What is that? Huge theological truth that God's trying to teach us, right? Think about that. We'll jump into it in a moment. Verse 18 says, so he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? Which was to me, like, okay, these guys, these guys aren't like caring and like they see you. Look, they're not youth leaders, right? Oh, hi, and grab them. Come here, buddy. Right. So to me, I propose that Luke wants you to see by this whole concept of taking by the hand that he was probably kind of irate. He was probably kind of intense. And, and the tribune guy was like, hey, whoa, whoa, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. What's up? What's up? Right. Takes him by the hand and says, hey, tell me what you have to say. And he said, the Jews have agreed, verse 20, to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow. And as though they're going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But verse 21, but do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man charging him till no one that you informed me of these things. I love this. I just, I just love that. I love the young dudes like telling him what to do. Like, he's like, he like tells him the story and then tells him how to act, which is hilarious to me because you're talking about a guy who's in control of a thousand people, right? You got this young brother. Now, look, here's what they're doing, but here's what you got to do. And I'm just like, what? So that's verse 21. Do not be persuaded by them. Like, don't listen to them. You got to do the right thing. So I love that he had that kind of, just that kind of passion, you know? Now notice this. It says in verse 23, then he called two of the centurions, and this is, this is the, uh, the tribune guy, okay? Uh, he caught two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers. So, remember, look, they're trying to ambush Paul. Look at the response. 200 soldiers, right? 70 horsemen, 
and 200 spearmen, right? To go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night, also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Okay? Now, two things here. They, they're not, he's not chained and all jacked up at this point. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost interesting that th- there's, a, there's a kind of a, a humor to this because actually he gets royal treatment here. Uh, so he's actually traveling with this huge entourage of like all these guards and soldiers to protect him, to make sure that he doesn't get uh, murdered. Um, and it says in the scriptures, let me continue on. And then he writes his letter. Now, now, now listen to this. He writes his letter uh, to this effect. Verse 25 says, okay. It says, Claudius Lysias to his excellency, the governor Felix greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Is this true? No. Remember what happened? Right? Yeah. He was about to beat him down. Right? He was about to kill him. Right? Because if he would have done the same lash that he did to Jesus, I'm pretty sure he would have probably been dead pretty soon. So I love, again, the humanity. But you know what? When you read this, you're like, I get it. I, we probably would have done something like that too. You, kinda, you know you write a story, you, kinda, you forget the parts that make you look kind of weird, and you add stuff to make you look kind of good. But brother totally changed the story, right? So he says, no, actually, you know, I was, I was going to save him because he's a Roman soldier. He's a Roman person. I just, we got to protect our people, which is totally not true. And desiring to know, verse 28, the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. So he paints the picture like they're about to kill him. He's like, oh, no, no, grab his insurance, get him. And he'd protect them. Come here, Paul. You know, you speak Greek and you're this awesome Roman citizen. And we're going to take you down so we can understand what's really going on because we're so righteous and awesome, which is not the case. The real case, right, as we know it, is he was getting beat down, and they wanted to save their bottoms. And so they, basically they didn't want a big riot going out, and so they grabbed him. And then they were going to actually basically flog him until he told them the truth, until they found out he was a Roman citizen. But notice something that the passage is doing here. And I'm trying to save the tension for the end. You know what's so interesting about this letter? Where does the letter go? Who writes the letter? Claudius, right? Who's he write it to? He writes it to Felix. So how many hands do you think the letter changed, Tim? Yeah, probably Claudius, maybe the guard to Felix, maybe. Is that fair? That's fair, right? How did Luke know what it was written? How did Luke know? This is a quote letter. Is that fair? He, he's like, here's what the letter said. How did it happen? Well, I think it's clear if we're, as Christians, here's one of those moments where you see Jesus saying, I'm going to give you supernatural insight into a scenario, which I'm proposing is part of what's going on in this whole text here. The reality that in the spirit, actually Luke gets from the spirit exactly what that letter said and writes it down with exact authority. And I love the fact that he even writes down how the letter was kind of like 
benchmarking on, hey, making Claudius look good too. Right? This isn't paraphrase. For some reason, God inspired Luke to be able to write a letter that he had never seen. Praise the Lord. What did the scripture say? So he gets this letter. It says, uh, verse 29, I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or punishment. Right? Verse 30 says, and when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So basically, he's cleaning his hands, just like in the spirit of, of Pontius Pilate, right? The whole concept is that, hey, I'm going to give them to you, uh, and I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask all the haters to go see you. So basically, they're like, where is Paul? He's like, oh, I sent him down the street. I sent him to Caesarea, Right? And then it says in the scriptures, verse 31, so soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. So basically, they, 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 got, they went about, you know, about 35 miles, like 60 was probably the distance from Jerusalem to Caesarea. They went about 35 miles, got in the clear. They kind of displayed to say, okay, we're okay now. We'll have the Roman soldiers go back to the house, but we're going to keep... Uh, the horsemen, and they're going to go on all the way to you, uh, to you in safety. And then finally, in verse 33, the scriptures say, when they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. And on reading the letter, he asked what province was he from, which makes a lot of sense, right? He asked, he has a point because in this day, you couldn't just kind of try whatever. You couldn't just, the judge couldn't see anything. It, they had, the guy had to be from your province in order for him to oversee the matter. And so he asks him, where, where, where is he from? And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. He said, cool, you're one of our homies. I'll give you a hearing when our accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Now, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to end there. I'm going to talk about something, and I'm going to share what seems to be the point of the passage. And you know what I usually do is I'm picking apart the passage, but it seems to me when I kept reading this passage, the Holy Spirit was like, no, actually, this is, a, this is a pericope, and you need to read the narrative, hit a few points, but you need to really show and focus on what's going on in the whole passage. Okay? So the one thing I just wanted to see at this, at this juncture, I love the fact that here's a brother who gets beat down. He's all jacked up. He's bloody messed up. And then he gets these guards who kind of treks him all the way to Caesarea. And then guess where he gets to stay now? In the governor's house. Love it. I love how God allows him to get to the point where he's now hanging out in the governor's house waiting for these guys to come. He's living basically in a palace. So what is going on? What is this text about? You know what this text reminds me of? It's like a little Esther. The book of Esther. You read the book of Esther, right? And you're watching all these things happen. And you're not seeing any mention of God. But yet, God's all over it. And God does that on purpose. Because he wants to give us another example as humans to say, I got I to teach you, I got to train you that just because you're not seeing all these supernatural realities and you're seeing a natural realm working its way out, don't you ever think I'm not totally involved. 
And so right now, this is kind of a little Esther. And so I love the book of Esther because I love that you get to this climax point where you're like, what's going to happen? Are they going to hang them? What's going to happen? What, what's gonna, is, 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 is Esther going to speak up and say who she is? And you're kind of trying to wonder what's going to do. And you don't hear God saying in a dream, say who you are and any of this stuff. You just see a young lady saying, I trust Yahweh and I know that Yahweh's good. So I'm going to take a risk here. Here's who I am. Right? And the king loves her and says, well, how can I bless you? And she goes, cool. <laughs> right? And guess what? If she would have wimped out, if she would have left it to circumstances and said, until God allows me to slip on a banana or something happens or, or supernaturally, if nothing happens externally, I'm not going to move. If she would have said that, guess who would have been extinct? Jewish people. And then guess who would have been a liar? God. That didn't happen. Because God was trying to teach the people of God something that day. He was trying to remind us that even though you don't see it, sometimes you don't hear it. I'm here. And I'm working. I'm working in those things. You think, man, it's the last straw. I just can't get a break. This happens and then this happens. Is God here? He goes, yes. Yes. See, that's the main reason why you can be, as a Christian, you can have curse. See, the unbeliever, when they have one thing having bad and another thing having bad, and they're kind of like, oh, my goodness, they should be. They should be. Because God ain't into helping cats who ain't about kingdom. <laughs> right? You want to be your own God, then go do your own thing. And then when it ain't working out for you, go call on your own fake God, right? But the Christian, we have hope. And so when things are like that and external, we can still go, Lord, I haven't heard from you. I feel like I'm reading the Bible and I'm not hearing from you. And I feel like my time is dry. You ever felt like that? God says, I'm here. I'm here. In the same way, what would have happened here? What would have happened if, if the nephew... Right? Didn't go to Uncle Paul. What would have happened? Maybe, maybe he'd have got ambushed. Maybe he would have been killed. Maybe God would have been seen a liar. But the beauty of the Bible, praise the Lord. The beauty of the Bible, what I love about the Bible and what I love about this text here is what God does. He puts himself out here. You know what he does in the Bible? He tells you, I destroy Satan, I destroy death, I destroy evil, I destroy sin. Here's where you're going to go. Here's what it's going to be like. You're going to be a co-heir. And he tells you how everything's going to work out. That's putting yourself out there. Because what if it don't happen that way? But see, that's what's beautiful. You can say what if, if it wasn't an awesome, powerful, only God. But God is saying, I'm telling you, this is how it's going to work. And so that means when everything is crazy, you can still go, no, no, God says it's going to end like this. This is how it's going to work out. So I can have hope, courage. That's a different posture. When you don't know how something's going to work, then you're kind of like, oh, my goodness, is LeBron going to make the shot? What's going to happen? Oh, you know, right? But when you know how it's going to work out, you ever had that happen? You're watching a movie with your kids, and they freak out. Oh, daddy, is he going to die? And you've seen it before, and you're like, <laughs> watch the movie, bro. You got a certain swag, right? You ain't nervous because you know the ending, right? Or if it's an ending they don't want, you can prepare them, baby. Now, listen. Hey, why don't you come sit with me right now? 
Because you know the ending. Hey, guys, we know the ending. Hey, hold, hold up, hold up. We don't just know the ending. We know the story. See, that's the cool thing. It ain't like, see, 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 bad Christianity, bad theology is, oh, you get beat up and knocked out and, and now this earth is horrible and then one day Jesus. That's not what Jesus tells us. He says, he says, eternal life starts the day you say yes to Christ. Eternal life, joy, peace, all the things, the graces of the spirit, they start not when you die and go float off with Jesus, but the day he saves you. So Jesus is saying your whole narrative changes right now. Now. Joy starts now. And what is that concept? That concept is the difference between miracle and providence. And so God, he, he shows you miracles. We know God does miracles. But he wants you to understand that mostly what he does is providential. Mostly what he does is providential. Now let's talk about some definitions real quick. If you can pop one up there, we got it. All right. Now, providence in itself means, and we're going to go home if I, I was going to share this with us. Providence means like to provide. Right? I love the providence of God, like the provision of God, as it were. That, that we live in a providential hand of God. That God is your provider. When we're singing that, that stuff, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, mean that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because it's true. Right, that God is, he's seeing everything. And I'm, I can't, you ever, I, mean, I, I, I get blown away when I think of man. God knows everyone's thought in this room right now and all the time. And not just here, but in every church in all the world. And not even in every church, but every car that's driving around trying to see their families. That God knows everything all the time. And he never goes, what, that, what was that? No, everything all the time. Just to, all power, all knowledge, all the time. Can you imagine? You can't because you're not God. I get it. I can't either. That's the Lord you serve. Intimately involved in everyone's life right now. Now. Man, what does that do? So what does scripture say? Here's the the definition. Providence is the means where God directs all things, both animate and inanimate, right? Things things that are like, yeah, and things you can't see. Even God says, I'm the God of both creation, all created and uncreated things. I'm just the God of... Man, anything you can think of, I did it, right? Seen and unseen, good and evil. Hold up, hold up. You're telling me, guys, like, I'm the, I direct all things, good and evil. Evil ain't running things. Satan, Satan bound, he ain't running things. God is using him for a purpose. He was defeated at the cross, at the cross, family. Guiding them, but guess what? Wait, what, Why? Why not just, you know, what we want to do. That's what we all tell. That's why unbelievers like, well, why do do bad things happen to good people and all this stuff, right? Because we want God saves the world and no more evil and it's all good. But God is like, for some reason, I get more glory doing it a different way. I get more glory by destroying evil, but then saying, I'm going to allow evil to have its place in the world because of the sinful world. And I'm going to allow evil to basically really reveal the unbelievers and actually help sanctify the believers. And that's what's going on right now, y'all. So I love this point, guiding them. Wait, what? Got good and evil, all the stuff that you see, toward their divinely predetermined end. You hear me? That is already done. And all God is doing is hooking it up to make sure everything makes it where it's supposed to go. In a way, don't just make it, in a way that is consistent with their creative nature. Ooh, man, tell me God ain't good. God is like, so I, to do that, I don't have dolphins acting like giraffes, right? 
I do all this and things get to their end in the way I created them, right? That's how good God is. Everything that's happening in our world, right? And then God is saying, and then that end, the end of all things, the end of all ends being the glory of God. So everything having its end and all those ends bring glory to God. That's providence, right? That's providence. Now, miracles is when God breaks into the natural strain. So you got the natural strain happening, and then God breaks in. Boom. You know what? I need to do something here because I'm God and I want to do that. And I think I'll just do a miracle right now, and I'll break into the natural realm, do something supernatural because I can always do that when I want to. That's a miracle. God does that all the time. But we live in this realm where God allows the natural realm to work itself out. Now, why am I harping on that? Because, guys, we, God wants to train your mind and my mind. To see God everywhere. Can I just give you a couple quick examples? Man, when, our, when, our, when my son was born, you know, when Connor, you know, we, we, we were, I mean, think of the providence of God. Uh, it was 19 weeks, maybe, when we, when, we, when we went to the doctors. So we were going to head to, we were going to head, were I going to speak somewhere or just travel? I forget. We were going to do something in Boston. And um, we were going to leave that weekend or something like that, or maybe the next couple of days even. And we, we said, you know, we're going to find out the sex of the baby, but we decided we we're going to wait until after we got back from Boston. But then something just made, I don't know, Sarah, one of us say, you know what, let's just find out early. You know, just, and, and so we, we go and find out, and that's when we find out some of the stuff that was going on with Connor. And you know what they told us, they said the things that were going on with him, that there was a time, there was a, a time constraint there, that if time continued to progress, there would be certain aspects of his anatomy that would not be produced because certain things are produced at certain times when a when baby's growing in the womb. We would have had a very different outcome if we would have actually gone to Boston and hung out and came back probably. That ain't nothing but God's providence. That ain't nothing but God going, let me just hook this thing up in the natural realm. I'm, going, I'm working, but you just can't see it. Even, even naming a church, Macaf. It was the funniest thing. We, were, we had like four or five names. They're all kind of crazy, churchy names, you know. And, and, um, and then, Boo, I think you were like, we just do Mac Avenue Community Church. And remember, we had like eight names. We threw Macaf out at like five. I mean, people were like, I don't like Macaf. I don't like Macaf. And we're like, oh, man, we liked it. Okay, well. And so we like, cool. So we get behind. We forget about it. We forget about it, y'all. We go to four, we go to three, we get to the final two, and then Pastor Leon says, man, I don't know, I just feel like we should bring MacAv back. It's not the blue. We totally forgot about MacAv. We've been talking about, we ain't even talking about MacAv for a grip. I mean, it was one of those moments, one of those flagpole moments. He says, let's just bring it back into the discussion. We're like, what? Mac- oh, yeah, okay. They say, you know, it's the name of our church. That was just a providential hand of God. I think about when we were in Africa and we were going to minister in New York City. We had it all set. They, had, they, had, they wanted to get us housing. They wanted me and Sarah to be their, their director of their community development, where it's a really prominent church and big and all that stuff that we as humans think are really cool. And we we're going to go to, to Man, we're going to be in Queens, New York, and in, near Manhattan, doing our thing on ministry, you know. And um, all of a sudden, my man, um, before we leave for Africa, we, I connect with some friends who knew Matt Massey, right? And I had, Matt Massey's a leader. He's a head pastor, lead pastor at, at North Star, the church that's here today. So it's funny I get to talk about this. Um, and sure enough, we meet just enough. 
I mean, we probably, we, we probably, I probably spent a couple minutes with him on the phone. Uh, if you know Matt, though, Matt, when God, God just kind of gave him that grace to go, I think I need to believe in this guy. And so then he calls me to the church and says, come on, we're going to support you $5,000. I'm like, what? I mean, he, we, we really didn't even know each other at that point. So I come down. They give us five grand to go over to Africa. But you know what the Lord, when, I mean, so then we in Africa, we don't see him for, don't talk for a while. Uh, we decided we don't know if we're going to do the New York thing. Matt Massey calls me in Africa. And I was like, hey, man, you ever thought about planting a church? I'm like, what? Nope. Because <laughs> we haven't. We, we weren't thinking about planting a church. We were never thinking about planting a church, like, in that kind of sense. You know, and we're like, oh, well, maybe, you know, if I can do that, it'd be cool. And, and so he's like, man, well, consider it. You can come and you know, serve at our church, and we'll send you and all this stuff, you know? And they say, you know, we're coming back from Africa. The, the, the queen scenario just died. It's like God just said, take it off the table. And we're like, man, we, maybe we should check out this North Star thing. And now you see God having me meet him briefly, not to give us five grand, but so we can have relationships so that we could be at, at the pastor serving there, learning how to serve, which, by the way, I want to, I could put him on blast now. He's, this is my, one of my close buds. David is, he, I think you really modeled, like, what does it mean to serve and not want your name in the spotlight? I mean, I've known him for years now, and I, and I waited for years to see if he was just faking too, you know, because people can do it. You can kind of do it for a couple years. When we start getting to decades and stuff, like now it's like, okay, this is how God has wired his brother. So I love that about you. And just to have the, the joy of being able to serve a cat like that and to, just to see people just, just loving Jesus. And even so many people even today have said, man, that North Star crew, they just, they just are joyful in their service. There's a culture that they've, that God, by God's grace, they've created, Right. For me to be a part of that and then come and say part of our mode of operation is going to be serving and caring for the poor. Like God knew he was doing all that. Guys, I bring those examples up to ask you, where is God working in your life? Where are you forgetting to say God did that? Look what God did here. That even you're, you get a sprained knee and things happen in your life and you're like, man, what's, what's this about? I mean, God is doing something there. Why is God doing that? So to me, it seems it's really clear that God wants us to continue to make sure we expand our view of God to see God does miracles. And then God is just working intimately in your life every day, all the time, in every circumstance. And for us to train our hearts to give God glory and see what the Lord is doing his thing and say, no, no, that wasn't this circumstance. God did that. See, a high view of God, closing this, allows you not to doubt when you think things should go a certain way. See, right? You, that's the thing that it could, it could, it could just cripple you. When, you. when you think, it's, man, I got all the grades right. I got my SATs right. I, I got the right pedigree. I know the right people. I've done the right extracurricular activities. And then you don't get into college. <laughs> right? My interview went great. This happened. I know these people. I had these resumes. And then you don't get the job. <laughs> right? And then we start going, well, all right. What else am I supposed to do to work my plan? Versus, is God's refusal his actual mercy? Is God trying to do something here? Have you ever had it happen when you, you had a horrible interview and you came in, your shirt was ruffled and you're slurring and, you, and then you get the job? And they're like, hey, we want to hire you. like, for real? <laughs> you ever had that happen? 
where you see that you didn't work your plan or you tried to in the flesh and then God totally made it crash and then he still blessed you. That's God trying to teach you and me that, man, God is doing this thing, not you. God's doing it. God's getting you through dentistry, right? God's got your family, right? God's working in our marriages. God's doing his thing. God has you building a house and setting up for the future. The Lord is in control. Be encouraged, saints. He's intimately involved. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a time.